0: You're listening to The Great Recruiter Training Podcast, hosted by industry expert, trainer, and motivator, Scott Love. Hi, this is Scott Love, and thanks for joining me on another episode of The Great Recruiter Training Podcast. I'm excited that you can join me again today. Get your pencils ready. I gave you a calendar date. I want you to write this down. It's March 20th and 21st, 2015. For a day and a half, I'm going to be facilitating a conference in Las Vegas, Nevada at the Golden Nugget. We're going to cover three things, candidate issues, client issues, and personal performance issues. I believe that those three things are the fundamentals of our business. How do we engage candidates, recruit them in a way where they feel loyal to us, they work with us, and only us? We get them to follow our leadership through the process. How do we develop relationships with clients where they see us as that trusted advisor? If we need to sell them a retainer or an exclusive, we can do so effectively. We can give them proper pushback that serves them, and we can manage the deal and make more placements. What if you could reach that level of performance that you have thought about and dreamed about for your entire career? Are you tired of sitting around wondering why is it that everybody else is billing and you're not? Maybe it has something to do with what you're dealing with in the candidate development and the client development. But the third part, which I think is why most people are not billing what they could, is that personal performance. What's going on in your mind? We're going to go through a series of exercises, models, and systems that I'm going to give you that I believe can take you to the level that exists, but you have not yet reached it. If you're interested, go to the website. It's greatrecruitertraining.com. As you know, I've got that free website, greatrecruitertraining.com, and I've got the Virtual Training Online, Recruiter VT. But go to Great Recruiter Training. Look on the free seminar link. You'll see it on my page, and see that you can see all the information. You can uh, register. I have allowed the first ten registrants to save hundred dollars. Now the information on the site tells you how to do that. If you don't see it, it means that we've already got ten people that have booked it. Uh, The day that I announced this, last week, and this is December 29th, the day I'm recording, last week when we announced it, that day we had five people sign up. So if you're getting this, I'd recommend checking out the flights. Go to my website, making sure it fits within your budget, and then sign up today. And the site will tell you how to get that coupon. There's a code. If it's not there, it means that you missed the discount. But you know what? It's still going to be worth your time. I promise you. If you come, if you're willing to work your business in a proper way and roll up your sleeves, you can reach your full potential. This is stuff I have done for a long time. I've been training since 2002. I'm the only trainer in the world within the recruiting industry that's a member of National Speakers Association. I'm the only trainer in the industry that creates replicable models. Because I believe that those people that have the burning desire, if that's what you have, then I can help you reach your full potential. If you don't have it, I can't help you. My business works. My training works for those people that are sincerely interested in pushing past their self-imposed limitations and working at a level that they've never worked at before. And it doesn't mean you're going to be all tired and burned out. It means that you're going to be billing and you're going to love it, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So check my website. It's March 20th and 21st. My wife is coming with me. We're going to drop our little girl off at her grandmother's, and we're going to turn it into a nice little vacation weekend for the two of us. So I hope to see you there. It's on my website. Look on the Live Seminars link. Now, with this podcast, I'm going to tell you about relocation issues. I recommend that you start local, find candidates that are close to your clients geographically, but if you can't and you have to do a reload, then you need to listen to this podcast. I am interviewing Jill Hynek that I'm going to bring Jill on in just a second. She is an expert in talent relocation. She speaks all over the United States to large corporations that move people and that invest in those moves. She has knowledge that I believe that can help you as a recruiter to make more placements, to mitigate your risk when it comes to relocations. And then after we listen to Jill, we're going to hear Rory Vaden. Rory is an author of the book, Take the Stairs. We're going to talk about self-discipline that recruiters and salespeople need to follow. Now, if this sounds familiar, I did have it on a previous podcast that I have since deleted because I changed a promotion that I had on there. But I thought, out of fairness to Roy, out of fairness to the listenership of this podcast, I wanted to put him back on there because he has some amazing content. So sit back, enjoy your commute or your workout, wherever you are listening to this podcast. Let's first listen to Jill, and then we'll listen to Roy. And in the meantime, check out my website, greatrecruitertraining.com. Come to the Vegas Seminar. Invest in yourself, and I'll see you in Las Vegas. So I've got with me on the line Jill Hynek, who is a talent retention expert. She's an expert specifically in the area of relocation. So, for example, if you have a client that has this candidate, they're trying to relocate from one city to another, Jill is the kind of person that can provide expertise. She consults to corporations to help them build comprehensive relocation programs, and she's been doing that for 16 years. And we all know in our business of third-party recruiting and staffing, anytime you have a relocation, there's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot that can go wrong. And Jill's gonna give us some advice on how we can keep our deals from falling apart when it comes to relocation. So Jill, Mm -hmm. thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you. So, So kind of give me an overview. What do you think are some of the common pitfalls that a recruiter will experience when they have a candidate that's going through relocation?
1: Um, Typically, we're seeing that the candidate is wrong for the job. Mm -hmm. Um, They're a lot of times wrong for relocation, so while they may be the perfect fit for the role, they are not a perfect fit for relocation, and or their family is not a perfect fit, or their real estate situation is not a fit for relocation. So let me
0: ask you this. When you say a perfect candidate for relocation, what do you mean by that exactly?
1: So if this person is, I mean, again, like you said, there's a lot of moving parts. So let's say that the company who is recruiting them is, or pursuing them, um, is willing to help with some benefits on the home sale side. Mm -hmm. Um, But it may not just be enough for that candidate to also purchase on the other side when Mm -hmm. they get to their destination. So sometimes there has to be a... um, a give and take with how much money is the client willing to fork over for this candidate? You know, how, how valuable is this candidate going to be to the role and to the team and to the bottom line um, for them to, you know, take care of them on the, on the destination origination side Mm -hmm. and then help them as most do on the buy side when they get to their destination location. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what we find is that after we kind of peel back the onion and ask, ask, probing questions, sometimes the candidate is not ideal for relocation at the end of the day. Right. So, not only should a recruiter be asking questions you know, and screening them as they normally would for the role, but then there's a whole secondary set that needs to be about relocation and assimilation in a new location with a family or, who knows, an elderly parent or a special needs kid. You just don't know what factors could impact a relocation.
0: that's interesting i mean my brain is starting to hurt as you're talking about all these variables right now and you're bringing back all these bad memories of deals that blew up because of the relocation the candidate was great the client was great but it was the detail of the relocation that killed my deal right Uh, what what would you say if you're doing third-party recruiting or even from your perspective you know all the variables what is it that that we need to know about like if there was a menu list of items that we need to qualify them on at the mm. beginning of the process to make sure they are a good candidate for relocation. What would that look like to uh, from your experience, Jill? Um,
1: well, a couple of questions that I would ask the candidate is, you know, um, we're going to be kind of personal. They're going to be, you know, um, are you prepared to leave your current community? Do you understand that you're moving from Atlanta to Tulsa, for example? And how do you feel about that? Um, What kind of, uh, what what does your spouse do? Is your spouse planning to work in the new location? Uh, How many children do you have? Do they have private or public education? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, these are questions that are usually not asked. Um, And then when we talk about the real estate piece of it, which is usually the biggest, most expensive component of a relocation, um, we need to find out, A, what their balance is on their mortgage. You know, it's really getting down to it because I don't even think the candidates, think about that unless they're asked and usually it's not until you're two-thirds of the way through the relocation
0: when that comes up wow that's a very good point so we need to look at the reality of this placement and the relocation is a big part before we even start scheduling a lot of meetings we need to start bringing these things to the front of the conversation then
1: yeah why waste your hiring manager or your you know company uh, clients Time if the candidate's not even remotely close to possibly moving.
0: You know, that's interesting when you said they're a good candidate for the job, but they're not a good candidate for relocation. I'd never considered them as a candidate for relocation. Right. And that's interesting. And I think you will have saved a lot of people uh, so much time just in the three minutes you've been on this program so far by looking at candidates, not just in terms of are they a good fit for the client, but are they a good fit or the relocation right so so those are personal questions i also liked what you said preface the conversation by saying saying we're going to talk about some personal things right now Right. Um, you know kind of prefacing that what uh, what are some of the other things related to the house like you talked about the balance of the mortgage what are other things we need to talk about their their current housing situation
1: so their current so they may if most of the clients that i have you know counseled with over the years have been homeowners so they are concerned with um, how, if they're underwater, particularly over the last five or six years. Right. If they're underwater. Um, some of the big Fortune fives and Fortune one hundreds would, depending on the level of the candidate, mm-hmm. help with the loss on home sale situation. So, for example, if they're underwater and they owe the bank two hundred, but the house is worth you know fifty. This is an example then the, usually the company's not willing to give up $100,000 on top of the other whole piece of the relocation. Um, so what we're finding is that what is the what what is the company willing to do and will that work for the candidate um, going forward? So leaving the origination location and then getting to the destination, will they A, have enough money to get out from underneath their mortgage and B, will they have a down payment for the new house? Wow, right. Or, or will they be subsidized by the company to either put the house on the market and just let it sit and try to sell it for what they need and get a mortgage subsidy from the client, and then on the origin on the destination get extended temporary stay housing so that's expensive
0: for a lot of these companies
1: right, so it depends on the candidate and how valuable the company deems them to be to the bottom line, down the line. Again, it's long-term investment for the company. And I think a lot of companies can be short-sighted, particularly if they're going after super specialized skill sets for, of talent. What and, are
0: some, I'm just curious, what are some industries that you've seen where relocation is still something that companies are willing to invest in for talent? Uh,
1: the big telecoms. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly in the u s um, they 're willing to invest a uh, lot of the logistics companies are still willing to do that particularly um, uh, abroad, mm-hmm. but you are still seeing and we 're talking upper mid, upper management upper middle management to the c suite um, right. even if you are an entry level or you know intermediary you know between upper middle and entry level you 're still getting some nice perks from these types of companies. Um, but you may not get, you know, the loss on sale on your, you know, origination home. But you may get an extended temporary housing when you go to buy a new house in your new location. So I think what companies are doing now is becoming more flexible and open-minded about how to uh, address issues because the the family dynamic is different, so different across the board anymore. You're not, you know, a, a mother, a father, and two kids. It's so much more complicated right. now.
0: So what are what are some of the trends that you're seeing now with respect to relocation? What's different in the last two or three years compared to previously?
1: Um, so in the last, let's say, the last couple of years, since 2012, it's really coming back. Um, so prior to 2012, um, people were basically, de- you know, depending on the company, if you are a big name company, which could be a resume booster, Big name firm, which could be a resume booster. A lot of the times, the candidate would just say, "Fine, I'll go into debt to make this move because I need to make this move." Right. Um, and that trend is kind of slowly but surely dissipating because more and more companies realize they are becoming so specialized in what they need in their within their company skill sets that they have to go outside their local talent pool, and so they're willing to move their budgets around from business unit to business unit to make that happen.
0: So what do you think is the average amount of money a company will spend in a relocation to relocate an executive or a manager from one city to another? On average
1: in the U S for a domestic move for a family from start to finish is about $91,000. Wow!
0: No kidding.
1: And that is, that's including all the moving parts. That's not necessarily a hard number for loss on sale if you're underwater in your origination but that is all inclusive of temporary housing and actually moving your things and uh, potential destination services so when you get to your new location you have somebody kind of uh, that city's ambassador showing you around and giving you an idea of what the lay of the land is then you have the real estate piece of it then you have temporary housing so all inclusive and it takes up to nine months for someone to be fully relocated in their new location it's about $91,000.
0: Wow, so they've got to make sure this is going to be someone that's going to work out over the long term.
1: Right, and what we're also finding, and this has been kind of put into place over the years, is um, an agreement that you sign, most companies are giving you a two-year payback agreement. So if you quit in the first 24 months, then you have to pay back the relocation costs. Really?
0: Yes. Are there are there were candidates that look at that document and they get to that point and they say, "I'm not going to sign that." Have you seen that happen?
2: Uh,
1: I've seen them say that, but then they sign it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because at the end of the day, um, they haven't typically gotten that far unless they are pretty close to taking the job. Yeah. Sure. So, um, and then we've seen people who are in high, uh, high. Um, in hopper management that have signed that and still left because another opportunity presented itself, and then the former company sued them
0: for it wow and what what did they do? Did they actually end up end up having to pay the difference of what they owed?
1: Oh, yeah, but they ended up uh, coming up with an agreement, so they had a payback agreement for the payback agreement.
0: <laughs> wow Wow that's complicated that's complicated and expensive which is another reason why they should go through a search firm to make sure it's the right fit so hooray for us hooray for us we mitigate their risk in paying all this money for relocation by making sure we have someone that looks good that's going to perform not just looks good someone that really is good right so uh, so what are the other variables so you mentioned we've got housing we've got family what are some of the other variables that we need to consider with the relocation
1: um I also see that the location is can be an issue, particularly if there's a trailing spouse, mm-hmm. and the trailing spouse is going to continue with their careers. Um, like I, I've had a client move from Atlanta to to Tulsa. and while Tulsa is booming in their for their area, that is a culture shock for somebody coming from Atlanta.
0: Right, I bet.
1: So, and the job pool is completely different and you don't see a lot of Big Ten law firms there. So, I'm thinking in particular of a client who was working for a large chemical corporation who had an attorney spouse. And that was a challenge for them. He was commuting every week and she was like, well, what am I gonna do when I get to Tulsa? I mean, and we have to be together as a family unit. We have three kids, we have to figure this out. Um, so a lot of the times, what we find is that the location is the issue, and no matter how much money the the client offers, the uh, company offers, you just can't make it happen.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's just like anything else. I mean, when you go when you book a vacation, you're going for the location. <laughs> so, um, you know, unless it's an absolute diet like back in tw- two thousand nine and two thousand ten, people were taking any and all jobs they could take. They didn't even care and they would let their house rot in their origination location. You know, just sit there on the market for a hundred years or try to rent it out. And what we found is that some progressive companies, you know, even in today's market, there are some depressed markets that you cannot sell your house in. It just It's just not working, like Detroit or, you know, Las Vegas or some parts of Florida still. Um, so what companies have done is said, fine, we'll give you a, um, a rental subsidy so that you can hire a management company and they can screen renters and you can at least have it rented for let's say up to 24 months and then let's just test the market again in 24 months. That's know, You know, and, it's, and it has to be case by case. It cannot mm-hmm. be you fit in box A, B, or C or forget you for relocation. So now we're seeing companies open up and do things like this where they're like, okay, not everybody's the same. Not every situation is the same, and we really, in order for us to benefit from this candidate, we need to work with them and be more flexible.
0: So what's the most you've ever seen a company invest in a candidate's relocation?
1: I've seen up to a million dollars. Really? Um, but you're seeing, you know, so if we're talking, I mean, it's just a lot of money, period, end of story, but if you're talking... Domestic, we talked about 91000 If you're going abroad, which a lot of the companies I work with, two-thirds of their workforce is abroad. London, Singapore. Um, we're seeing more in Africa now. Um, that could be up to $400,000. Wow. So it's a lot, a lot, a lot of money to not take care on the front end.
0: That's, that's amazing. I didn't know it would get that much. I don't get involved in a lot of relocation anymore. I used to. And I know that it's complex. There's a lot of moving parts and there's a real process to that. What do you see are the more common reasons why the deal's gonna stall with respect to relocation?
1: Um herein lies the the crux. This is this is what I do when I'm consulting with a company. It's about the communication plan and managing and building expectations. So First and foremost, um, most companies do not know how to communicate their relocation policy articulately to either the recruiting organization or the third party. Right. They, just, they just haven't done it well. Um, and so you can't ex- expect it to be then communicated well to the candidate. Um, and they either have one point of contact who doesn't know it all or 15 points of contacts who don't talk to each other this causes huge uh, confusion, and ultimately can be the cause of a failed relocation. The other thing is, um, you know, relocation really needs to be layered within the onboarding program within a client's um, company, and we don't see that happening. They work kind of, you know, side by side instead of together. Um, We want relocation, you know, my vision is to have relocation as part of the onboarding process. So when you're doing orientation with a company, There should also be either that person or a separate person that's going to say, you know, how are you doing in your new house? How are you doing in your new community? How are your kids doing in school? There should be kind of like, let's temper this. Let's see what happens in the first 30, 90, 120 days. Is this person still, is this person going to be with us in the first 360, you know?
0: How how do most corporations do that? Will they have a sponsor or an ombudsman or someone that gets involved in that?
1: We're not seeing that as a trend. Yeah, and that's something that I am a huge advocate for. Um, You know, let's make it the buddy program, or you know, if you're moving, and and this is a corporation I did a consulting um, project for where two-thirds of their people were abroad, majority of them were in Saudi or um, London, and they were moving people from the southern U.S., and most families didn't know what to expect or what was going on, so what they did is internally build a, and with my help, they helped build like this community of people who done the same exact move, 6, 12, that's 24 great. months prior. So you don't necessarily have a buddy, but you have a community that's done the, I don't know, uh, Houston to Saudi move. Mm-hmm. And here's where we lived. Here's who we, you know, my kids go to school. They play sports. They have their doctor. This is what happens in Saudi when you do X. Here's the cultural stuff. Um, they also, this company also provided cultural training prior to the move. So you know, you see, you have to be have to have some forethought.
0: <laughs> Indeed, I mean, it takes quite a bit of forethought. What what are some resources for relocation that a third party recruiter can access that will help them to gain proficiency or at least conversational knowledge about uh, how to manage the relocation when they're talking with their clients and the candidates?
1: I'll be honest with you. There's not a lot of general places to go online to research that and get that kind of information. Um, I'm part of the Workforce Employer Relocation Council, which is a its a worldwide um, member organization for our trade. And we have a lot of resources through that. Um, when you speak about third party, third party in my world, in the relocation world, are third party relocation management companies mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. are hired by the company to help manage these moving parts. So they help screen the agents and the appraisers, and the movers, and try to put all those things together for the candidate, but herein lies another layer of miscommunication a lot of the time between the recruiter, the third party, the company, and whoever else is involved. So, um, but what I was gonna say about the third parties: is a lot of them publish blogs and um, pap- white papers on what to look for, or how to talk about a relocation to a candidate. So you could, when, if you just Googled it, you a lot of different things would pop up there's just nothing specific and not a specific place to go
0: and so Jill do you actually do the relocation or do you just do consulting to show companies how to do the relocation
1: my core business for the last 16 years has been uh, residential real estate um, here in Atlanta and I've represented um, uh, candidates from AT&T Siemens GE Home Depot, UPS, the big ones here, and then smaller ones in a lot of the big 10 law firms. Um, So, my business has mainly been residential reload with expertise in corporate relocation.
0: I see. Okay. Uh, And
1: out of that, over the last five years, I've been asked by these uh, clients, these corporate clients, to come in and educate their um, HR or reload people on how to better partner with agents, and then it kind of spurned into these other aspects on how to build a communication plan and or build a comprehensive relocation policy based on this. Because right. I'm independent of a third party relocation company, and I'm independent of the client. I see, okay. Because I know
0: all the people listening to this are usually third party recruiters, executive recruiters, staffing agencies, uh, whatever, whatever sort of flavor we take on within our unique niche, but all of us at some point will get involved in the relocation. Right. Uh, so if we have a client that has a relocation challenge, mm-hmm. you can be available to consult to that company. Is that correct?
1: Right. So one of, um, one of the, my best relationships have been with executive search firms or corporate you know, recruiting firms where um, once the client has been secured, now you have a corporate client, they've given you the recs on how many jobs they want you to fill. The next step is your conversation with them about, okay, so what are you willing to offer um, for relocation benefits for these levels of candidates, Mr. Client? And the next step, once you work with us, is now we, we refer you to our relocation consultant. And she then will, will help walk us through um, what the next steps are. If you don't have a, you know, a, um, a full comprehensive plan already in place, we can build a basic one out. for the purposes of filling these roles. And then we can talk a little bit about how we're going to deliver that to both the Recruiting Org, the HR Org, and the
0: candidate. Gotcha. Okay, that's great. So how can people reach you if they wanted to find out more about your services or even to refer you to one of their clients? How can people reach you, Jill?
1: Um, The easiest thing to do is just go to my website, uh, jillheinick.com, j-i-l-l-h-e-i-n-e-c-k.com. You can also call uh eight eight seven seven five 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 relo. you can also send me an email at Jill at Jillheinick.com and you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. <laughs> I'm serious? on the social channels. Um, but yeah, so I am happy to answer questions and you know, I, I really look at myself as the relocation partner, business partner, um, particularly when I'm working with recruiters. So I want to see us as a consultant. I like to see the recruiters as a consultant right. when they're talking to their clients. So we're trying not to sell the role, rather engage in a conversation about an opportunity with the client.
0: Excellent. That's great. Well, thanks very much for your expertise and your time today, Jill. Absolutely. Thank you. Joining with me today on the Great Recruiter Training Podcast is my good friend, Roy Vaden, who is a best, a New York Times best-selling author of the book, Take the Sp- take the stairs. I read that book. It's an amazing sales book focusing on the topic of discipline. Rory is also the co-founder of Southwestern Consulting, it's a training and consulting firm based in Tennessee that helps sales companies improve their performance. Rory, thanks for joining me today.
2: Yeah, I'm so excited. Thanks, Scott, for having me. It's good to be here.
0: Absolutely. Now you cut your teeth on sales. You know, what were some of, I'm curious in your personal career, what were some of the early sales jobs that you had in your in your profession? <laughs>
2: Well, you know, I've been around sales my entire life. My my, I was raised by a single mother who sold Mary Kay cosmetics. Right. And so, you know, I was always at the sales meetings. And it basically means that I grew up around women who were always teaching me about the principles of success in sales. Um, it also means I know more about makeup than I do about cars. Uh, <laughs> uh, but when I was in college, I... Um, I got recruited to work for the Southwestern Advantage summer uh, program, and Southwestern's been around for over 150 years. And I, I ended up doing this for five summers, and it's the craziest summer job you can imagine. Because I was, I was an, an accounting major, 19 years old, the University of Denver. Uh, you know, this kind of shy, nerdy accounting kid. I get recruited, um, and and what I did for five summers, and, and what Southwestern's done for over 150 years is. Uh, I would go uh, through a week long sales school in Nashville, Tennessee, and then after that week, we would go to a state we had never been before. We would knock on doors to find a place to live for the summer once we got there. And once we found a place to live, then every morning we would wake up at 5:59 a.m., take ice cold showers, and go out knock on doors 14 hours a day, 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. You know, six days a week on residential, you know, straight commission residential. Door to door. So I, you know, that's a long way of saying I grew up to be a door to door salesperson. And and honestly, Scott, I I never wanted to become a door to door salesperson. Right? I, I I was a perfectly normal child. I wanted to sell Mary Kay. (laughs) (laughs) So what? So
0: what? What were the things that you learned during that experience? I mean, that's a that's a lot of work doing that during your summer.
2: Yeah, 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 it's intense, and and you know the the reason I got into it originally was for the money because the average student their first summer uh, will make eighty five hundred dollars, and I I just did the keynote for the send off meeting for like uh, you know five hundred of the students that were here last week, and they're all out knocking on doors right this very second, and um, the I think my first summer I made about seventeen thousand dollars, and then each of the next four summers I made over fifty thousand dollars a summer, so. I made almost a quarter million dollars in five summers doing this, and uh, my business partner—I have two business partners, Dave and Dustin—that both made a uh, hundred thousand dollars in one summer. And uh, those guys are a couple of my business partners now. And and you know, the 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 biggest thing uh, that, like, if if I could only in in um, you know, like one sentence, kind of boil it down. And and last week when I did the keynote at the the sales school send off for all the kids this year. Uh, there's this phrase that we always say at Southwestern Consulting: the answer's behind the next door. Um, the answer to every problem is behind the next door. Like when it's too hot, go to the next door. When you're lonely, go to the next door. When you haven't sold anything in three days, go to the next door. The answer's behind the next door, and it it, it very much integrates into uh, our sort of expertise now, and and. Uh, and the take the, the stairs, stairs book because, because you know, you know the, the whole message of take the stairs is that that success comes down to doing the things you know you should be doing even when you don't feel like doing them. Right. Uh, you know, success is not about taking the escalator; it's about taking the stairs. It's about doing the things, making those choices that that nobody else would make. And for a salesperson or you know for a, for somebody in executive search a headhunter it's like it's the same thing the answer to every problem is behind the next phone call it's behind the next and, candidate it's yeah. behind the next job. job order
0: That's right. Activity is a solution for everything. You're absolutely right, Roy. What a great lesson to get in, to get integrated into your mind as a, as a young kid. Oh yeah. And so I'm curious what was it that motivated you to write this book? Cuz this is a book that talks about action. In sales, You know, really overcoming uh, the, the fear, the entitlement attitudes, perfectionism, all those paralyzers that keep people from taking action. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and this is something I see within our own industry is that I would rather have someone that is motivated and that has a burning desire to win than someone that has talent. If someone uh, can take action and can make lots of mistakes and learn from them, they'll ev- eventually develop that talent. Oh, so, so I'm just kind of curious, what motivated you to write this book, Roy?
2: Well, it's it's a great question, Scott, and it's it, I, I get that question a lot now because you know the the book I uh, got it's just my first book, and it's it now been translated into ten languages, and it was like number one on Wall Street Journal and number two on New York Times, and it's like this big kind of it's becoming it's growing like this international phenomenon. But the, the irony is, I, I never set out to write a book to solve the world's problems, like. Um, I set out on a journey to solve my own, and and nine years ago, I was um, I had over fifty thousand dollars in personal debt, and I was forty five pounds heavier than I am right now. And you know, our our company when we we started Southwestern Consulting from scratch. Um, you know it was like we bootstrapped with four of us now we have seventy four employees and we've coached over twenty seven hundred salespeople for six months and we've you know we do uh sales consulting with Google and direct t v and verizon i mean we have big clients and but but back then we we had <laughs> i don't mean to brag or anything, but in our first year, we did a million dollars in revenue and and I successfully spent about one and a half million dollars turning our uh organization into a non profit organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm 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 sitting there going, um, when am I gonna you know? Wh- and and I had this realization. I woke up one day and it was like you know, I, I realized that I had developed this one negative habit, and it was that somehow at some point in my life I had reached this point where I I decided that I was no longer going to do the things I knew I should be doing if I didn't feel like doing them. I was putting off things. Not that my my business partners wanted me to do or my spouse or my parents right, is the things that I knew I should be doing and I I was putting them off And in, in the business world there, there's a word for that and we call it procrastination it's putting off the things you know you should be doing and so um, I started studying procrastination and, and and we started researching it and we're you know working with our sales clients our coaching clients and our consulting clients and and we found uh, out of uh, 10,000 US employees um, the average employee self admits to wasting 2.09 hours every single day—two two hours either chit-chatting uh, at the water cooler or surfing the web or or uh, engaging in creative avoidance, which is a concept that uh, I lay out in the book. It's a it's a new type of procrastination. We call it creative avoidance, and. And the answer, you know, how do you how do you solve that? And the answer is is in a word. It's not a word that anybody likes. It's not a word anybody wants to hear. It's not a word I want to say. But it's the it's the freaking truth, and it's self discipline. Right. It's doing those things. And so basically, all the Take the Stairs book is, um, was after profiling these people and really digging in. We found these seven key distinctions for how the most disciplined people in the world think differently from everybody else. And that is why, that is why uh, we wrote the book is because uh, we started to realize that self-discipline, contrary to what people think, is not as hard – as they think when they know how to think about it the right way and and that's what take the stairs is it's just these seven key distinctions that make self-discipline a little bit easier
0: and the concepts that you write about you're absolutely right it's not hard if somebody just kind of if they just go forward if they take the first step they'll find the momentum to carry them forward and i I found some of the things that you wrote about they ring true to the people that i've taught within the industry just what you said do What you know you need to do, even though you don't feel like it. I mean, that's what true professionalism really is, doing work at an exceptional level, even when you don't like to do the work. And within our niche, within headhunting, I always say that in any job that you have, there is going to be misery. If you think being a movie star is glamorous, what you don't see is the misery of waiting nine hours in the swamp field in the middle of the night, slapping mosquitoes, waiting until, okay, now I've got my five minutes to get on the set. You know, there's misery everywhere in any profession. And in sales, there's a lot of misery in the rejection. And so I think people, they look at that, oh, that's so hard, that's so difficult. I'm going to create some sort of avoidance. And I see this a lot within our industry, social media. Social media can be valuable for other types of niches. Within what we do, I, I even created an acronym for Twitter. It's time wasted in trying to, Escape rejection. <laughs> people, <laughs> I they, love that. That's good. Yeah, they will. They will create. They will create activities that seem like they're busy, but they're not engaging people that have right. a high likelihood of going forward
2: and that's creative avoidance that's, that is creative avoidance is unconsciously creating stuff for yourself to do so that you can do those things so that you can avoid doing the thing you know you really should be doing that you don't want to do So it's, 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 it's a deceptive form of taking the escalator and, and here's what's interesting about what you said and and you know it, it, every industry does have these hard things. They do have these challenges like a movie star does have to work their butt off. Uh, you, you know, know the, the Take the Stairs book. It was nine years in the making, making and, and then suddenly, you know, it hits it the New York, York Times, and all, all of a sudden, a sudden, it's this big, big deal. deal. Yeah, but it, it was like, like it didn't happen on accident. Yeah. And and, here, and the, the, the the book is a the, the the study the success of the book is a case study of its own principles. <laughs> and and one of them, the very first principle in the whole book, kind of speaks to what you're talking about, and it's called the paradox principle of sacrifice and the paradox principle of sacrifice says that easy short-term choices lead to difficult long-term consequences meanwhile difficult short-term choices lead to easy long-term consequences so what the great paradox is is what, what most of us uh, you know think and we go uh, yeah there, there are hard parts of being successful there is a lot of rejection um, but there it's it's much harder to not go through that, in other words, the whole idea with take the stairs is not about making your life as hard as possible it's completely the opposite it's about making your life as easy as possible it It, it seems easy now, but it, it makes things much more difficult in in the long term and so what we realized is that procrastination is a creditor that charges you interest you You always pay a price, you either pay the price now today. Or or you will pay a much greater price in the future. And so, take the stairs is about making your life as easy as possible, and is doing doing the hardest parts of things as soon as possible. And that paradox is is only something that only a few people really consciously understand and live their life by. Um, and it's 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 a different it's a different way of thinking.
0: One of the things I see is that. For example, picking up a book like this and reading it, a lot of people, they they just have not developed that habit yet. And I learned this from Jeffrey Gittimer. When I first got into speaking and training over 10 years ago, he was kind enough to open up his office to me and I met his staff. He wrote the foreword for my book. And I remember hearing him uh, talk about just reading two pages a day. Just do something every day. Create that habit. And it's almost like you trick yourself into reading chapters at a time. When you you you're just doing something, just doing a little bit to kind of break that break that habit of inaction. Uh, there there was a there are several key insights I took from your book. Uh, some of them I'd heard before. Some of them I just hadn't heard in quite that perspective. And uh, for everybody listening, I'd recommend that you get Rory's book called "Take the Stairs." Do it today, and just start reading a little bit. Just pick it up and read a little bit every day. Uh, because I think you, you you tell a lot of great stories in here, Rory. I read your book in about a day and a half. You know, My wife was out of town. Uh? And so here I am at home. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to watch TV. I'm going to hold off watching TV. I want to read Rory's book. And so I read it. And it was, it was an easy, quick read where you retain the knowledge. And then I always find repetition is key. So I'll just go back through books and flip through highlighted things. Or what I like about your book is that it's formatted so that you can see – where all the main concepts are. And you can just turn to those pages and pick up on those again. Yeah. So it's well-written. I commend you for what you've done, Roy. This is a well-written sales book. Thank you. Um, So there are a couple of concepts that I wanted you to talk a little bit about. Uh, One of them was the law of diminishing intent. What Mm. is that exactly and how does that affect salespeople?
2: (laughs) Uh, The law of diminishing intent Basically, basically says that our intention, intention to take, to take action, action on a goal or, or an activity, activity is highest high the moment that we create that intention, but, but that naturally over time that atten- intention starts to fade. Uh, you know the classic example of this is the New Year's resolution. If you go to the gym on January 5th it's it's you know you notice the gym is packed right it's crazy there's there's people everywhere uh, you have to it's like you have to wait in line to get on a treadmill you know the locker room is packed I mean the worst part is you got to drive around the parking parking lot for 25 minutes just to cl- find a closed parking space to walk into the gym and um yet if you go to that same gym on march 5th you know you'll notice it's completely empty it's like People are missing. There's no explanation. It's like the rapture occurred, right? Yeah, just, that's funny. The treadmills are running. Nobody's on them, and it's like, what happened? That is the law of diminishing intent at its its finest. And and so, you know, salespeople come out of sales meetings or or at the start of the year or of a quarter or something, and and they're on fire. But then naturally over time, that intention starts to fade. And you, you know, so it and take the stairs. Um, one of the principles is called the pendulum principle of action, and that's where we kind of talk through how do you get yourself to take action? How do you how do you get yourself to take action? And and why don't why do people really procrastinate? Like, what is the the, the, the source of it? And you know, psychologists say the number one cause of all procrastination is self criticism. Wow. Self criticism. Um. And and so you know like i started to wonder like why isn't it that more people don't take action is it is it because they don't care about success is it because they don't care about letting other people down do they do they not mind the idea that um you know they're not living up to to what they said they're going to do and actually it's just the opposite what we found is the reason why most people uh, can't take action is because they care so much about success they care so much about providing for their family they care so much about being a good role model for their kids that What ends up happening is they put so much pressure on themselves, um, to be perfect and so much pressure to succeed. And, and they, and, and, and they think only about all their results. And this pressure starts to pile up and pile up and pile up. And, and what happens is they tell themselves this, they live in a fantasy land. And their fantasy land is, um, you know, once I get my desk clean, once I get my stuff organized, once, once the kids are out of college, once you know, I'm married, once we get out of debt, once whatever, um, and, and the whole idea with that is, is they're basically saying uh, I, this matters so much to me that I just want to make sure I don't screw it up and I want to make sure it's the perfect time and that i have the perfect plan and that it is just the right set of circumstances and that everything is in order so that i don't mess it up. And so what happens is they wait and they wait and they wait for a perfect time that never comes. And eventually the law of diminishing intent sets in. It's this invisible enemy working against you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and and eventually it wins. And so the question is, how do the most how do the ultra performers uh, that we profiled, how do they think different? Or do they think differently? And it, it, it turns out, out that, that they do. do. This, this is one of the major, major distinctions for how people point. think, and it's so it's, it's so simple. simple um, it's, it's, it's it's almost ridiculous. The the, the way, way that, that ultra performers cultivate the habit of action, the way you cultivate the habit of action in your life, is you develop this habit where you you become relentless about progress. You demand. Progress. You become ruthless about this idea that today on this day, I will make progress no matter how small, but I will not stand still and I will not go backward. I am going to do something in my control to make progress every single day. And there's nothing I will not accept not making progress. And at the exact same time, you completely free yourself from the demand for perfection.
0: I think you're absolutely right, Roy. It's just taking action, just doing something. Uh, I would say that live in the world of good enough. It's just good enough. It's 80% good. It's good. It's good. Make your mistakes and improve as you go forward. But at least you're making your mistakes. You're doing something. Uh, when I when I coach people, when I train people, when I hire people, I tell them. I say just start. Just pick up the phone. Make a mess. You know, here's some guidance, but just make a mess. Don't worry about the results, and we'll we'll figure this thing out. So. So that's a, that's a, that's a great concept. I like the way you articulate that, Roy. What? Let me ask you this. Uh, I think you you said that you have a blog. Tell me a little bit a little bit about that, and how can people learn more about you and some of the solutions that you offer to them?
2: Yeah. Well, I think I think the blog is a great place to start. I, I write a blog almost almost every day. Uh, you know, maybe like two or three a week, and they're and they're really short just kind of little like bursts of motivation or insight or inspiration. Uh, and then I have a weekly podcast and you know, of course it's like if Twitter is your preferred medium or Facebook's your preferred medium, uh, the links to all of that is at RoryVadenblog.com. So if you, if you go to RoryVadenblog.com, you can, you know, sign up for the podcast. If you want, you can sign up to get emailed every time I post a blog, you can, you know, find me on, on Twitter or whatever. Um, and uh, the other thing at royvadenblog.com is is if you are interested in learning about coaching, right? You can request a free call, and we'll connect you with one of our coaches. Um, if you're a sales manager, you can request to have one of our, our one of our coaches or trainers, consultants, will actually go uh, out to your office for free um, as a way of sort of introducing themselves, and they'll do it. They'll work with you to do a free training for your team. It's, it's part of um, how he works. So. Um, I think, you know, we're 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 not we're just giving away stuff, you know, royvadenblog.com is the place the place to go.
0: That's great, Roy. And your one of your sister companies is also an executive search firm, so our profession, our industry, that's something that you all are familiar with also, right?
2: Yeah, it is. Uh you know, Thinking Head is the name of our um, sister company. And one of the guys that made the profile cut for Take the Stairs is Tim Knight, and he's a nine time pinnacle producer and you know, I know that that means something to a lot of people in this industry he's, he's he's very, very successful. And he was one of the people that actually we profiled and then his profile got got accepted. And, um, you know, I guess the last thing I would just leave everybody with, Scott, is, is everyone, you know, you know, we get to the end of this whole idea and people say, OK, Rory. So let's say I start doing all this stuff like let's say I start. Uh, making the sacrifices, right, and let 's say that I start overcoming procrastination and i 'm and i 'm being disciplined and i 'm taking the stairs and i 'm and i 'm doing all the things that i don 't want to do. How long do I have to do that for <laughs> and, and um and and that is one of the key the most significant uh, distinctions in between the ultra performers and everybody else. At, most people are looking for a shortcut. They're looking for an escalator. They're looking for a magic pill or a secret potion and, and a hidden formula. And the mentality of, of an ultra performer is different and they embrace something that we call the rent axiom. And the rent axiom says that success is never owned. Success is only rented and the rent is due every day.
0: That's right. Ain't that the that- truth, Roy?
2: Yes, sir. Never owned. It's rented and the rent is due every day. And you can take the word success out of that and you could put in for that whatever you, whatever matters most to you in your life. Like financial security is never owned. It's rented and the rent is due every day. A, a great customer relationship is never owned. It's rented and the rent is due every day. Being in, uh, you know, great physical health is never owned. It's rented and the rent is due every day. Success is never owned. It is rented. And the rent is due every day.
0: Well, great concepts, great book, Roy. Where's Where's your preferred outlet that people should go to get your book? Will they find it in the bookstores, or Amazon, or on your site?
2: Yeah, I mean, anywhere. Uh, uh, they can They can go to Amazon, of course, or you know. Uh, Barnes Noble books a million. But if you go to if you go to roryvadenblog.com and uh, if you do buy it from us, there's some there's some free bonuses that we do if people buy them, buy them through us. So it's, you know, whatever is easiest for you.
0: That's great, Rory. Thanks so much for being our guest today. And We'll talk again real soon.